Hey Bridgewater, I'm excited to get to talk to you today. At the beginning of this year, I was journaling, thinking about 2022 and wanting to write down things I got to watch God do at Bridgewater Church. There were some exciting moments. Stories of life change flooded my mind. I remembered multiple conversations with people who were taking their next steps as they followed Jesus. I thought of the people I watched be baptized. Memories of every Bridgewater campus filled my mind. None of those things were difficult for me to record. But what I have been finding difficult is articulating what God did at Bridgewater in 2022 in a way that does it justice. He has simply blown me away this last year. He's worked through you. He's worked in you too. Much, maybe even most of what happened in and through Bridgewater is difficult to quantify. A lot of it probably escapes our notice. But what we have been able to track reveals to us that God has been working in huge ways here. And I want you to know that your involvement in Bridgewater Church is making a difference. Each of us, I think, have ways of determining whether what we're doing is worthwhile. We all want to know that we aren't wasting our time. And because you're attending church online or in person today, I'm guessing you probably either think your involvement here is worth it, or you're really hoping it turns out to be. So let's consider for a moment what it would take for you to deem your investment in Bridgewater Church as worthwhile. What would you want out of your church involvement? To see a church that loves and serves its community? A church that's generous with its resources? A church that children love to attend? A church that teaches the Bible? A church where people's lives are changed? And even if all those things were true and they were happening, what about the results? How would we even know all of our efforts are worth it? What would it take for you to call the effort worthwhile? I think we'd all want to see at least some results, right? We'd want there to be something to show for the time, energy, and resources that were used up in the effort. So I invite you to listen to what God did at Bridgewater in the past year alone. And I'd ask you to consider whether or not these statistics indicate that God is at work here and whether what we're doing is worth our investment. Let me talk about volunteerism. Did you know that more than 38% of our attenders serve in some capacity? Let me talk about generosity. Over $17,000 was given away out of our benevolence fund alone. That doesn't include an additional $45,000 to four different organizations or special missions projects. And it doesn't even mention another $100,000 given to missionaries that we regularly support. In terms of community and togetherness, we averaged 472 adults in small groups each week with 66 different groups meeting. Let me talk about kids ministry. Maybe it'll blow your mind to know that 1,091 individual kids attended Bridgewater in 2022, 31 of them becoming followers of Jesus. How about student ministries? Hundreds of students came out to our student ministries and 23 of them made Jesus their forgiver and leader with another 17 taking the next step of baptism. In terms of Sunday morning service attendance, we averaged 1,604 people across our campuses. This is up from 1,415 in 2021, which represents 12.6% growth. In 2022, we saw 70 people baptized and 80 people make Jesus their forgiver and leader. What's interesting is that these are just the things that we can track. 
It doesn't even include the invisible efforts, conversations, and prayers of God's people at Bridgewater. Countless other next steps have been taken in areas of personal growth, marriages, parent and child relationships, workplace influence, and spiritual conversations. It's clear to me that God has done incredible things in and through Bridgewater Church, and it brings us as your leaders great joy and causes us to give thanks to God for all he's done. And all of this reminds me of what Paul wrote to the Philippian church as he thought of them. They became followers of Jesus and then shared in the work of spreading the good news about Jesus to the people in their world, while also financially supporting Paul in his efforts to tell people about Jesus. In his opening words, he both looked back to what God had done while also looking ahead to what God would do. Here's what he says to them as he begins this letter. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's obvious that Paul saw their time, energy, and resources as worthwhile. And he wanted to assure them that what they were doing was in fact worth it. In verse three, Paul thanks God for them. The validation of his ministry was that people actually did respond to the gospel he preached and that they remained true to their faith. Any positive response to the gospel brought Paul joy and he's celebrating obvious signs that they had become followers of Jesus. And it seems Paul's thankfulness didn't waver. It was every time he remembered them. Paul turned each thought of them into praise for God. We also saw in verses four and five that he prayed with joy and thankfulness because of their partnership in the gospel. The relationship between Paul and the church went deeper than human friendship. They had a bond that came from joining in the work of God in the world. Had it not been for the gospel, they wouldn't even have met. Beyond that, because they financially assisted Paul, they contributed to the work of God in other places, becoming a part of his work wherever he went. And verse six reveals that Paul had every confidence that the work God had begun in saving them, he would continue to the end of the age. As followers of Jesus, they would continue to grow to be like Jesus until he returned. And in a similar way to that church, God is working here. He is moving. You are a witness to it or have been a part of it. And I do wanna emphasize that it's one thing to be a witness to something, but being a part of it is next level. Just think of what could be accomplished if everyone who is currently attending got involved. What if everyone attending online or in person served in some capacity? What if every one of us gave financially? What if every one of us was regularly inviting their friends, family, and neighbors to church? What if each of us did our part to tell people in our world about Jesus? And what if we all consistently prayed for God to work in our church and communities. Wow. So please hear me on this. It is right and good to celebrate all God has done in 2022, but we need to keep going in 2023. And I truly believe the best is yet to come and that God is not done. And because of what Paul wrote to the Philippians, we can have confidence that God is not done, neither in his work in us, nor in his work through us. And who wouldn't wanna be a part of a work of God? like this. So this year, here are some new goals for us as a church. 
We are asking God to help us accomplish these things. We wanna see 100 people become followers of Jesus. We wanna see 100 people baptized. We are asking God to see a 15% increase in our service attendance. We are praying that God would give us a 15% increase in our giving as he provides more and better ministry opportunities. And we are asking that God would help us to see multiplication readiness in each ministry area at every Bridgewater campus. Who knows what places God might want us to reach into, and we want to be ready. Now, those were a lot of numbers, I understand, but we believe every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. But what about you? What is one way you can get on board with what God is doing? Maybe it's through serving or praying. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's simply through sharing the good news of Jesus with people. We believe it's worth it. Changed lives are worth it. Watching God work is worth it. And God is worthy of our efforts as we work with him to make more and better disciples of Jesus. I'd invite you now to listen as your campus pastor comes before you to clarify what this may look like at your campus and outlines what opportunities lie ahead for you in 2023. God bless you. Man, can I, can I just start with a few things? First of all, can we just say praise God together? 70 people baptized, 80 people trusting Christ. Hold on just a minute because like in just the last couple of months, there, there's three people sitting right up over here who trusted Jesus. There's somebody else. I don't know, y'all move. You don't sit in the same place. So somebody, <laughs> somebody sitting over here who just trusted Christ a couple of months ago. And we just talked about two more in this campus alone already this year who have trusted Christ. Praise God, amen? Right? Yeah. And one of the things I, I don't want you ever to miss, okay, ever, 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 even, even when I'm dead and gone because I'm old and whatever, you know, I don't ever want you to forget what one thing that Josh said. God is not done. He's not. I don't ever want you to forget that. Can, can I ask you to do something with me for just a minute, okay? Some of you know a little bit of the history of, of Bridgewater Vestal Campus, and that there was a merger a number of years ago that God had been working here through, through um, kind of a different church. It was called Ross Corners back then. How many of you were here with Ross Corners. Would you just stand up for, for just a minute? Just stand up if you were a part of Ross Corners. Okay. Okay. Look, look around for just a minute. Like, first of all, I just want to say to you guys, thank you. Thank you. Second of all, I want to say, look at what happens when a church says we will do anything and everything short of sin to reach more people for Jesus. Amen? Look at the rest of the room, right? Hey, Praise God. Amen. Thank you, guys. These people humbly, a number of years ago, said, we believe 
God is not done. And so even so, even though things had to change and something, you know, some things had to adjust and, and, and we had to figure out how God was moving, they chose to do it and to be a part of it. And frankly, for me, whether you know me or not, this is the second church that I've been a part of that has done something like that where they said, we will change anything and everything that we can, not God's word, anything and everything that we can, short of sin, to reach as many people for Christ. And I think it's amazing and commendable. Now, if God's not done, we really should probably wrestle with, well, then what do we want the church to look like? What should it be all about? And we could, we could ask that question all day long, and I could tell you what I want the church to look like, and you could tell me what you want the church to look like, and frankly, what we should all probably do is push pause and go, hey, let's ask a little different question. What does God think? What does God say? The church should be and look like. And thankfully, God's word gives us clarity on what it should be and what it should look like. But one of the questions that we have to ask and that I want to talk with you about today is this. How do we get there? How do we get to where God wants us to be? How does, how does Bridgewater, because see, we are, we are better together. We are five locations, an online campus, and we are better together. We are, we are one church, many locations, but how do we get where God actually wants us to be? Let me just share with you two things that jump out, stand out very clearly when it comes to how we get where God wants us to be. First and foremost, Josh highlighted it, but the goals that we already set out as far as all the campuses, 100 salvations, right? 15% increase, 100 baptisms, all of that. These goals have to start with prayer and dependence on God, plain and simple. I, I can't make anybody trust Jesus, neither can you, you know that? I can't make anybody get baptized. I guess I could throw water on you. That'd be fun. <laughs> uh, let's try it. <laughs> no. That would have been great if I had a bucket here, wouldn't it? Oh, I should have thought about that. Tommy would be jumping. I, I can't make any of it happen. But the reality is when we pray and when we depend on God, we will see him move. There's a couple of passages that I want you to think about here this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 um, very clearly lays this out. Even in the early church, so Paul, who was a guy who planted churches all the way around the Mediterranean you know, rim, and if you think about it, he would have been like one of the most famous people uh, as far as like Christians in that day, and people, people enjoyed you know, his ministry. Apollos was a guy who was really kind of like people flocked to him, and he writes this. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. And you take God out of the equation and nothing happens. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God, who again, in case we missed it the first time, which by the way, I, I'm a little slow, so it helps me to see it twice, it says, it's God who makes things grow. Which tells me, I, if I really, really want to see lives changed, I will be a person who is regular on my knees. If I really want to see lives changed, I will be regular on my knees. 
One of the verses that I am working on in committing to memory and, and trying to live my life based on this year, and I would urge you to take it right along with you for, for yourself, or maybe you've got your own verse, but th- these verses are the ones that I'm running with this year. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, and really the key for me is verses 19 and 20, but, but Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. By the way, Ephesus was a magnificent city. You can still go see it today. One of the largest libraries in, in the world, the Library of Celsus, 100,000 volumes. Can you imagine this? 2,000 years ago, 100,000 volumes, no printing press. I mean, this is a magnificent magnificent city and there are Christians there and he's writing to the Christians and he's he's telling them listen you know all these things but I want you to know something else I want you to know the power of God look at this I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people then we get into verse 19 and 20 and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Man, he's saying, I want you to know and understand who it is that's actually in control of this world and whose church it is and the power that he actually has. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and put him at his right hand. I want to know and understand that power so that I'm dependent on it. Please, oh please, people of Bridgewater, We will be nothing if we aren't on our knees. How how do we get where God wants us to be? It starts with prayer and dependence. Second, here's where it goes. These goals, and I'll roll out what what I'm praying for for Vestal, but let's talk still about the overarching overarching goals for all, all of Bridgewater. These goals require commitments and focus from me and you. Like a choice, a choice to commit myself to something. Because, again, back up with me for a minute. I can't make 100 people trust Christ, but I can do things that help ensure that we have the environment where people hear the gospel, right? I can commit myself to do something. You get it? So let me just show you what the early church was committed to. And what I think we should be committed to, okay? I've been fascinated with the early church ever since I was a young kid. I read the book of Acts. If you are not Acts, like I got to ask you a question. Sorry, I don't know why I have to say that every time. I don't know why. That's just, like, it's in my head. (laughs) Sorry. No, like Acts, like actions, you know, okay? The actions. When you read about the actions of the early church, I don't know if there's a more exciting book in all of the New Testament. I mean, it's all good, but it's just so exciting. The, the church is just exploding and, and, and good and, and hard, and, but powerful things are happening. When I read about that, I'm just like, man, I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church that's moving and growing and they're loving on people who are messy and they were making a difference in their community and and man, but there's these traits that show up in the early church and I think we stop being like them when we don't carry these things out. You find them in Acts chapter 4. I'll show you the verses. I'm going to start in verse 32. Actually, we're going to back up. We're going to back up one verse. I'm going to show you verse 31. 
um, because it goes with what we've already talked about. Look at verse 31. It says this. After they prayed, this, the believers were gathered together in this, in this, this uh, kind of room, right? They're, after they played, the place where prayed, they, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Do not miss what was the predecessor to that shaking and that moving and that boldness. The first thing was they prayed together. And then verse 32, look at what happened next. All the believers were one in heart and were one in mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. What, what was going on here? That first section, all the believers were one in heart and one in mind. Well, the first trait is they are of one mind. The traits of a godly church, they are of one mind. A God-honoring church, we would have to be of one mind. Now, there's a couple of things that I just want you to think about with this. This means that they were a unified church. They were focused on the same goals. They were focused on glorifying God and not getting what they wanted or having the programs that they wanted or having things just the way they wanted them, but instead they were willing to squash gossip and division and self-centeredness. They were ready and willing to build relationships and trust and not live by suspicion they would talk to each other and refuse to talk about each other. They were unified. What about us? How often do we make things about us where we want the church to be for us and instead of for God and his glory? We will need to choose to be a people who will squash things that would divide us who would say, when, when, when somebody's talking to you about somebody else, you say, hey, remember, we're a people. We talk to people, not about people. That's, that's, that's who we are. <laughs> Why? Because this is God's church. Now, if God is going to bless us, we will need to be a unified church. Let me show you the end of the verse again, or just remind you of the end of that verse. The end of the verse says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And then in verses 34 through 30, or 33 through 35, it says this, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, in every single one of them, that there were no needy persons among them. How did that happen? Well, Going on, verse 34 and 35. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. What, what was going on here? Not, not only was this a, a godly church that God was using, but they were a godly church because they were of one mind. But second of all, they were a godly church because they were others-focused. They were willing to take whatever they had and make a difference in somebody else's life. So here's the thing, rather than being consumed with thinking of themselves or striving to get what they wanted, they were consumed with serving and sacrificing. That's who they were. They were consumed with being about the good of someone else. It is so easy to act like it's somebody else's job to help your neighbor. But if we're gonna be a godly church, 
we won't, we, we're going to have to squash that. Okay. Now the text goes on and I want to take you back to the beginning part of verse 33. Look at what it says. In the beginning part of verse 33, it says this, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now I point that out because it would be really easy for you to think, um, hey, it's just the apostles. But if you go back actually just two verses to verse 31 and that passage that I read to you, it said that they all spoke the word of God boldly, not just the apostles. So the apostles are speaking and they're talking to people who don't know Jesus about Jesus. And so is everybody else. They're speaking boldly. What does that tell us? It tells us that a godly church is a church that is outward focused. A church where God is moving and working is a church that says, we will not be inward focused. We will be others focused and outward focused. Now, I know there's a lot of talk about that. And I understand that sometimes this is viewed as a negative, but apparently with Jesus's early church, being outward focused was kind of a big deal. Being concerned with your neighbor's eternal destiny was kind of a big deal. And I know I'm fairly new here, but I want to be very clear about something as your pastor here. I believe it is my goal, the reason I exist right now, is to go to heaven and take as many people with me as possible. And I just want your help in that. I just want your help in that. But we're going to have to be outward focused. Let me show you one last well, let me remind you of Jesus. When Jesus showed up on the scene and he started investing in people and people got mad at him and all kinds of things, one of the things that Jesus lived and said was this, that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. In other words, not only was it important to Jesus, but apparently it was important to, or not only was it important to Jesus' early church, apparently it was important to Jesus to be outward focused, to find people who had questions, who were struggling, who were hurting, who didn't yet know how to be right with God. And I just, I guess I just have the audacity to think that that should be us too. They devoted themselves to this. Now let me show you one other verse, and it's not in Acts chapter 2, but this is one, this is, this is, or it's not in Acts chapter 4, it is in Acts chapter 2. Um, this happens a little bit earlier. The gathering of believers at this point is a little bit smaller than what we just read about in Acts chapter 4, and, and you have to see this because if we miss this, I think we could get our tra trajectory wrong as a church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says this, they devoted themselves, who? The Christians, the believers, Okay, the Christ followers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And do you know what the apostles were constantly teaching? They were just teaching that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus is the Savior of the world, repent, look to him, follow him, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what they were perpetually teaching. And so I think it's imperative 
for us to realize the fourth and final trait of a godly church, and it's this. They were devoted to Jesus. We must be a people who are devoted to Jesus. Like if, here, here's what I mean. If, if there's a discussion or if there's a problem or an issue, I'm going to tell you the trump card is what Jesus says. It's not what I say. It's not what you say. It's not what so-and-so thinks. It's what the scripture says and what Jesus has modeled. That is the trump card. We must be a people who are devoted to following Jesus. That's what we got to be. If we can commit ourselves to that, here's what I think could happen. Okay? When you, when you set a goal, something you need to know, when you set a goal, all, I think for, for Christians and for the church setting goals, we really should just look at what God says we should be all about, and then we have to make some sort of an educated guess and a prayer as to what we want to trust God for. Okay? Because again, we can't necessarily make some of these things happen, but we can trust him for it and go to work. So those are two things I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to consider these goals I'm about to lay out. I'm going to ask you to pray about them. And I'm going to ask you to go to work. And I'll tell you how we can go to work. Okay? So number one, I think we should pray and trust God that we would see 20 people trust Christ here through the work that God is doing here at Vestal. I do not think that that's crazy. I do not think that I can make that happen. I don't think you can make that happen, but I know God can. In fact, I, I'm confident that there's probably some people sitting in here today who are still wrestling with, man, is it time for me to trust Christ? And I would just tell you, today's the day. Like If you'll come to him and just say, God, I need you. I'm hurting. I'm broken. I know I, I've gone against you. I am ready. Good news is, he doesn't wave his finger at you and say, how dare you do all those things. He says, come to me, child. Your sins are forgiven. I think it's possible. I think we should trust God for, for 20 people to know Christ. Again, let me remind you of some of the things that we saw this last year throughout the campus, throughout all the campuses. We saw 80 people trust Christ and 70 baptisms, right? 80 people, 80 people trusted Christ and 70 people went public. Let me tell you a little bit about Vestal here. We saw here in Vestal, we saw, we saw uh, 13 people trust Christ last year. Praise God, amen, right? Yeah, yeah, clap for that, that's good, okay? That's awesome. Uh, we saw, here's, here's something that's really cool, and I want to highlight what's happening downstairs with B-Kids because you need to know how awesome it is, what, what they're doing down there with our kids. We saw six kids trust Christ last year, okay? Amen, yeah. Go ahead, and if we can go through, go through those, pull them up. Yep, keep going. Here we go. In 2022, one more. There we go. We had six kids trust Christ. You know, they're praying. Tina, our children's ministry leader, is praying that we'd see another six kids come to know Christ. Amen. Can I just tell you something? We, we desperately need some people who would just say, I want to influence kids who'd go and help. Uh, man, that'd be awesome to see six kids. Amen. We're praying that we'd see two teens 
trust Christ this, this year. Dallas, our, our, our uh, student ministry champion. Then we get so many others, Sarah Slater and Chris Cheney who work in there, right? There, we are praying that we would see two teenagers trust Christ this year. But I am specifically praying and believing that God is going to use us to see 20 people trust Christ. Second of all, I'm praying that God would use us to see 20 baptisms this year. Now, here's the cool thing. Here's what's pretty amazing. Uh, next week, we already have, I believe, four baptisms. Two weeks after that, we're planning three more. We've got several people. I see some today that might be thinking about it. That's awesome. Praise God for that. That could be seven in the first two months. Amen? Right? That's great. Like, I, I'm pumped by that. Third, I'm, I, I think we should pray I, I think we should pray and trust God that, that he would grow our attendance here by 20%. That, that's what I'm trusting God for, that he would grow our attendance by 20%, okay? Um, here's, what that would, here's what that would look like, okay? Um, we ended the year averaging 164 for the whole year. Now, you need to know, the last month, all of December and into January, we've averaged over 200 here. Okay? Praise God for that, right? Yeah. But, but that would mean we would like to see an average next year of 197. There's ebb and flow. I get it. Things happen in life. Apparently, we're kind of busy, you know? <laughs> Stuff like that. Okay, but I, I'd really like to see us have an average this next year somewhere around 200. That's what I'm praying for. Number four, let me tell you, I'm praying, I think we need to see 20 more people in our small groups. Right now, we're averaging just under 60. It's like 55, 56, I think, in our small groups here at this campus. I'd like to see that. Um, now, we could actually add to that because there's a couple new small groups that are already going right now, and we got Starting Point, and that's basically a small group, and so, you know, but, but I, I'd like to see God do this, and I'd like to work in that direction. Uh, fifth, I'd like to see 15 more people serving in some capacity, okay? But let me share with you really what I believe is, other than people trusting Christ and and, and, and growth and baptism and, 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 and small groups, there's one overarching goal that I want you to know that's, that's, I believe, coming. I think sometime this year we need to get someplace, get to the place where we are ready to move to two services. Okay? And, and I believe that would really only be the beginning of God allowing us to reach people and see people grow. Christ. And the beauty of that is what it allows you and, and my family to do is attend one and serve one. Because right now, if you serve, you can't be in the service. And I got to tell you, I hate that for you. Even though you can listen to it online and you can, but I want you in here worshiping with God's people and, and sitting under God's word. And that would allow you to attend one and serve one. So, Here's the thing. I, I've told you all the way through this. I can't generate this and you can't generate this. But I believe there are actions, activities that we can do that help us get there. And I'm just going to share with you three of them. Okay? Number one. I'm looking for 30 people who will join me and say, I am ready to commit to invite at least one person a month. I'm looking for 30 people 
Maybe there's more. But I believe in this room there are 30 people and and people volunteering that could say, yep, I'm going to commit myself to inviting at least one person a month. Maybe they don't come, but they're certainly not going to come if I don't invite them. (laughs) And if we invite them, what might happen? See, I'm never going to be able to see 20 people come to know Christ if I don't work with people who don't know Christ. Right? Secondly, I'm looking for 30 people who will commit to sharing the gospel with at least one person a month. That's what I'm looking for. I shared with my small group this week that I'm committed to that. I let them know so they can hold me accountable. So they can ask, hey, who'd you get to invite this month? And that's not, that's not meant to make me feel guilty when I don't do it or if I don't do it. It's simply meant to help me keep my eyes focused on the goal and to encourage me and, and then say, hey, if it didn't happen this last month, what do I need to do to adjust? We're not looking to guilt anybody. That's a terrible motivator. We're looking to encourage and help. And when you walked in today sitting on your seat, you should have found a little sheet. In fact, it looks like this. On one side, it says Bridgewater. On the other side, it looks like this. Here's what it says. There's three little things. It says, number one, I'm committing myself to help make more and better followers of Jesus by inviting at least one person a month in 2023. And here's what I'm going to ask you to consider doing with me. I don't have a pen. If somebody wants to throw me one, I'm going to mark this and fill this out for myself. Here it comes. Perfect. Thank you. Oh, wow, I got a bunch. All right. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. All of our receivers for Kansas City are hurt, so... uh, I'm, I'm next up. <laughs> Here's the thing. On that little sheet, you can, if you want to get involved. Josh asked, what, what can you do? Here's what you can do. Number one, I'm committing myself to help make more and better followers of Jesus by inviting one, at least one person a month. I am committing myself, number two, to help make more and better followers of Jesus by sharing the gospel at least one time per month. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're not ready for that. Then I would tell you, look down at the next one. I want to learn more about investing in others and or sharing the gospels with, uh, with others because here's what we're gonna do. We are going to have some training and some things to help equip you so that you don't feel alone and you don't feel like you don't know how to do it. We are going to come alongside and help you. That's my job, Okay. So that's what we're going to do, and I would urge you to take just a minute and consider this. Now, maybe it's not for you yet. I get that. There's no pressure, okay? That's why I didn't say I'm, I'm hoping for whatever. There's probably 100 and I don't know how many people in here today, whatever. I'm looking for 30. Is it you? If it is, would you put your name on it? Aaron Patton. Don't put that name. That's, 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 that's not you, okay? So, put your email, and what you're going to do is if you do this, you're going to get an email from me tomorrow, and I'm going to talk with you about how I think we can do this, okay? You know what made my heart happy this week? I sat in my small group, and somebody in my small group was weeping 
because they have a friend that they're trying to share the gospel with and they asked us to pray. When we stop being that kind of church, we better be done. I gotta tell you about one person and I'll close. I wanna show you a picture. I chose this picture on purpose, like that Chiefs jersey. It's good. This is my friend Pixie. You might think I'm joking, but that's actually her name. Pixie showed up at the church I used to be involved in on Easter, probably six years ago. That's her daughter right behind her. You wouldn't know it from this picture, but Pixie and her daughter had lived a life of struggle with drug addiction. Pixie's sister was a part of our church, and she was burdened for Pixie. They had had a huge falling out years before. They had had a huge fight over family things. They didn't talk to each other. But her sister, Nancy, decided, you know what, this is dumb. I need to follow Jesus. So she started inviting her. And Pixie showed up. I don't know how long it was. I think it was actually six months before all of this happened. But one Sunday after I got done teaching, I went to the back, sitting back there, and Pixie grabbed me and she almost fell to the ground. She said, I need you to pray with me right now because I need to give my life to Jesus. This woman's life changed dramatically. She died a year later of cancer. This woman's eternity changed dramatically. I just have to believe that somebody you're going to invite this year is your pixie. I'm just curious who it is. Here in a minute, I'm going to close this with prayer, or close this time with prayer. We're going to have communion, and we're going to remember Jesus. But as you're remembering Jesus, I want you to come to him, and I want you to, 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 to rejoice in him, but, but I also want you to remember that somebody else needs to know him, Okay? So I'm going to pray for us. Let me give you a little instruction. I'm sorry. You, you, when we do communion, you may be looking for your cups. They, some of them got kind of stuffed down in the, the, the backs there, so you can look for them here in a minute. So as I'm praying, you can fumble around and look for those, okay? <laughs> let's, let's pray together. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus, most importantly, because he has changed everything for me and he's changed everything for people who put their faith in him, but he's not done. <laughs> and the work that he's doing is not done. So God, I pray that you would help us to be a part of this work. I pray that you would specifically tap on the hearts of 30 people here today for each of those things. And I pray, God, that we'd be able to rejoice and then, then we'd go to work. We'd commit ourselves to it and we'd say okay we're going to go to work and we'll rejoice when you you bring about victories but then when we if we if we struggle we will also say okay lord help us get back on it and go to work thank you god we pray in jesus name